Hello there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Uh, We are in week two of a series. We started this last week entitled Sibling Rivalry. And sibling rivalry is when brothers and sisters just can't get along. Uh, I don't think there's a parent in here, if you've had more than one child, who has not been exhausted at one point with your kids fussing and picking and arguing and fighting. You hear things like this on a daily basis. She's touching me. He's breathing my air. He's on my side. She's looking at me. That's where I wanted to sit. He's copying me. It's my turn. She's looking out my window. And that was just on your ride to church this morning, right? I think when you talk about sibling rivalry, uh, the picture that's going to come up on the screen behind me about says it all. All right? It's a, a slide of when parents are home versus when parents are not at home. And I know those shenanigans happen at my house sometimes. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at the world's first two siblings We've been looking at the story of Cain and his younger brother, Abel. And you know that this is a story that ends in tragedy. One brother so upset that he kills his other brother. And so here's what we said last week. We said, though this passage teaches us a lot about human relationships, we also believe that this passage teaches us on a much deeper level than that about three significant relationships that every one of us in here have. Our relationship to worship, how and why and what we worship. Our relationship to anger, how we handle anger when it comes our way. And then our relationship to sin. Everyone in here has a lifelong relationship to sin. And so today, we're going to look at what this passage teaches us about our relationship to worship. So one Sunday morning, Satan happened to be standing outside of a large church on the sidewalk. And inside this church, people were singing and praying and they were listening to the Word of God. And someone happened to be passing by on the sidewalk and they saw Satan standing on the steps of the church. And the passerby asked Satan, he says, hey, does it bother you to hear all those people in there worshiping the Lord? And with a demonic laugh, Satan said, it doesn't bother me in the least. They get that way on Sunday, but come tomorrow morning, they'll be mine again. This is just a little habit that they've acquired. Now, unfortunately, I believe this could be true of a lot of people. Worship, true worship of God is supposed to make a difference in who we are and what we do. God, it's his desire that we become what scripture says are true worshipers of him. Look at the words of Jesus in John chapter 4 verse 23 and 24. It says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. For the father is seeking such people to worship him. 
God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, I love what Jesus says. He says in verse 23 that the Father is seeking such people to worship him. In other words, not just on Sunday, but to walk in the spirit of God, to live in his truth every day. And so we find a great example of a man who worshiped God in spirit and truth in the story of Cain and Abel. So you know the story, two brothers, they both bring offerings to the Lord and God accepts Abel's offering, but he stiff arms Cain and says, no, I'm not going to accept your offering. This makes Cain mad. He kills his brother. Then God curses Cain. Well, the part of the story, remember, this is one sermon we're dividing into five weeks because of we're trying to keep our services short. So the part of the story that we want to focus on this morning is the worship part. And we want to ask this question, why did God accept Cain's offering and reject Abel's offering? And what I hope to do this morning is to show you how Abel had the right relationship to worship while his brother Cain did not. So we're going to be in our text, Genesis 4, is where we were last week. We're just going to be looking at verses 3 through 5. It says this, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Verse 4, And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. So there it is in the text. But the question is, why? Why, does God ex- why is one offering acceptable and the other offering not acceptable? And for us, for you individually, I would say, I hope this text causes you to wrestle with this question. And the question is this, is it possible for me? Can I worship God in an unacceptable way? And I think we find the answer to the question in the explanation of the text itself. So there are three possible explanations offered by scholars. A scholar is a person that's way smarter than me and maybe smarter than you. So scholars offer three explanations as to why Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's offering was rejected. One has to deal with the type of offering. The other has to deal with the quality of the offering. And the third has to deal with the heart of the person making the offering. So I want to talk about these three really, really quickly today. We have 17 minutes left, so i got to hurry. Let's talk about the type of offering. So some scholars say this. Abel brought, he was a, he was a shepherd, he was a, a rancher, so he raised animals. So Abel brought an animal to sacrifice before the Lord. And Cain, he grew things out of the ground, okay? So he grew cash crops. So he brought fruit from the ground, and his brother brought a, a live animal. And they argue this, Abel brought this animal which he had to sacrifice Blood had to be shed, and so this is a direct picture of Jesus, the innocent lamb's blood being shed for us, and God requires a blood sacrifice. And so Cain comes along, he doesn't, he brings fruit from the ground, you can't get blood out of fruit, and so that's why God accepted Cain's, or accepted Abel's and rejected Cain's. 
And they use Hebrews 9.22 to kind of bolster their argument, which says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so here's what they say. See, Cain, he didn't bring anything with blood. He should have brought an animal, but he brought fruit, and so his sins weren't forgiven. Well, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this particular argument because I think it doesn't hold up. I don't think it was the type of offering, and let me give you two reasons why. If, if, when you look at that Hebrews 9.22 passage, it says, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. This happened centuries before the law of God was ever written, before God dictated to Moses. This was hundreds and hundreds of years. Secondly, when Moses writes the, the law, it's the book we all love to go to, Leviticus. We should do a, a four-year sermon series on it. That's a way to kill a church, right? Um, but all of those laws, in Leviticus chapter 2, that specific chapter is dealing with grain and fruit offerings. In other words, things that you grow out of the ground, if you bring them the right way to the Lord, he will accept them. So I don't think, in my opinion, that God accepted Cain's because he brought an animal, and, or Abel's because he brought an animal, and he rejected Cain's because he brought fruit. I don't think that's it at all. I think the second theory is getting us closer to the point. And the second theory is this. It had to deal with the quality of the offerings they brought. In verse 3 of the text, we're, we're just told, hey, Cain brought some fruit. We didn't say it's good fruit. He just brought some fruit. All right, but you, you go back to Genesis uh, 4, 4 and 5. It says, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, and don't miss that phrase, and their fat portions. In other words, when, it, when it Scripture says he brought their fat portions, he brought the most expensive parts, right? So today it would be like bringing the filet mignon to the, to the Lord and not the flank steak. Abel gave the most valuable, the most sellable, the most wor worthwhile, and the delicious parts to God, and that pleased him. And on the contrary, it doesn't appear that Cain put much thought in what he gave. He brought some fruit, but it doesn't specifically say he brought the best apples or the sweetest cherries. He just picked something at random and brought it to the altar. While it probably wasn't his worst, it also wasn't his best. He brought his leftovers and his brother brought the very finest. And I think there's some validity in this argument. And I think it begs us on an application level to ask this question of ourselves. Do I bring my best to God? Do I give God my best? Now, when we talk about this, we always go to money, right? All right, so you can use that principle. Do I bring my first fruits of my money to God? Does he get the best or does he get, if I have anything left in the bank when it's said and done, maybe I'll tie. Do, do, do I give the best of my time to God? Or does he get what's left over? Do I give the best of my energy, my physical strength to the Lord? Or do I try to serve him when I'm just worn out and beat down and I don't feel like doing anything? In other words, hear me. Do we give God the most valuable, worthwhile, and delicious parts of our lives, or does God get what's left over? And I think there's a defining question that we have to ask ourselves in regards to our worship. 
Are we bringing God our best? When I was a younger man, uh, fresh out of Bible college, um, I went to this guy's church. He was kind of a mentor of mine. I really liked this guy. He was an older preacher, and I, I went to watch him preach. And it was one of those heaven high, hell deep, worldwide, and shotgun barrel straight sermons. I mean, he was stepping on people's toes. And I, I was in the front row, and I was just mesmerized. And so he was talking about giving the best to the Lord. Give him your first fruits. Give him the best of your life. And throughout the duration of the uh, sermon, he had an apple. And he just kept eating the apple. And I was kind of up front in the splash. I was getting apple chunks on me as he was speaking. You know, it was, it was great. All right, and so he was eating. It was really weird. I, I, I'm saving you from me eating an apple. Um, he got that thing all the way down during the duration of the sermon to just, just, just a little core. And then he, he said, no, hear me. It was like I say, it was like an old school sermon. He said, we're supposed to bring the best to God. He's supposed to get the, the first of everything. But here's what you people do in this church when it's time to give God your best. He pulls out an offering plate and he has this core and he drops it in the offering plate. And he says, and you give God the core. It was like a drop the mic moment before they was dropping the mic. I don't know what everyone else in that room thought of that message that day. But I'm going to tell you, as a young guy right out of Bible college, I was mesmerized by that, that illustration because it forced me to ask this question. Am I going to go through my life and give God the best of everything, of every area of my life, or am I just going to give him the core? Am I just going to give him what's left over? And so I ask you, do you give God the core or do you give God the very first bite? It would appear that Abel gave God the first, and Cain did not. There's this principle in the Bible called the principle of the first fruits. I'm running out of time here. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, it says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with Wine. So I saw this illustration years ago or heard it. I don't know who to give credit to. It's either Robert Morris or Craig Groeschel. Uh, but this is an illustration of the first fruits, okay? So in my house, we, we play the game of life. So I've got 10 $10 game of life bills here, all right? They're actually 10K, but we're going to pretend they're $10. This is the principle of the first fruit, and I don't want you to miss this. So let's say one of you decide you're going to come and mow my grass for me. I'm going to pay you to mow my grass. I'm going to give you $100 to mow the grass. Well, I'm going to pay you with 10 $10 bills. We know all about bringing the tithes in the storehouse, giving a 10% cut to God first, and then living on the rest and all that. So you get done. You do a, and I would expect nothing less from you, you do a wonderful job cutting my grass. So I'm about to pay you, all right, 10 20 30 You get it, right? Okay, so the question is, of these 10 $10 bills, which one do we give to God? And there's a real simple answer to it. The first one that hits your hand, that's God's. You can talk about that in money, time, energy spent, what you're doing. It's not just a money illustration, but God gets the first. Abel brought the first fruits. Cain did not. True worship is giving God our best. A third theory is this. i got to move. 
the, it's, it has to deal with the heart of the person making the offering. It makes a difference, the attitude we have in our hearts and we display when we worship God. And I'm not just talking about singing. I'm talking about every day worshiping God. Our, our heart makes a difference. And so this theory is God accepted Abel's offering because he came with the right heart and attitude and he rejected Cain's because Cain had a wicked heart. Well, the New Testament gives us a lot of clarity on this. I'm going to read these two verses to you. Hebrews 11.4 says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, by accepting his worship. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And then you go over to 1 John 3, verses 11 and 12. For this is the message that we've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one. Okay, now before he murdered his brother, we're told he was of the evil one. So this isn't anything new for Cain, right? Who was of the evil one, and then he murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. I think it's important for us to keep both verses in mind. Not only was Abel's offering more excellent, higher quality, but it was offered with a, a pure heart. It was offered in faith to where Cain's was offered in evil. He came to God with evil in his heart. In other words, I want you to hear this. God knew what was in his heart, and therefore God rejected Cain's offering. He rejected his worship because he came to worship him with evil intentions in his heart. And here's what I want you to understand. I believe there is biblical precedence that God will not accept worship from a person who has dark, internal evil motives. Proverbs 21, 27 says this, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? Okay, so scripture, this scripture in particular, should be a little eye-opening because this scripture tells us when we come to worship God or when we try to worship God in our daily lives like we should be doing, if we have evil intentions in our heart, evil motives, that God will not accept that worship. And I want you to think about this for just a second. If you hate another person, if you have burned a bridge and you will not forgive that person, God will not accept your worship. Jesus said as much in the New Testament. He says, hey, you got something against your brother and you're bringing this sacrifice, you lay the sacrifice down. Don't bring it to my altar. You go make amends with that person and then come back and I'll accept your worship. If we have some secret sexual sin or some secret sexual affair and we try to worship God, God's not accepting that because of the evil intentions in our heart. Or how about this one? Some of you listen to the prosperity garbage that's being preached. If you give to God, he's going to make you rich. And so I'm going to give God because I want a boat and a Lexus and a new house. And so the more I give, the more God's going to bless me because that's what they say on TV. You're not giving with the right motive. You're not worshiping with the right motive. There's evil intention in your heart. God says, I don't want any of that. Or if we come to church simply because there's nothing better to do today. Couldn't make it to the lake. Couldn't make it to the beach. 
I tried to sleep in, but I woke up, didn't really want to be here, but I feel guilty, so I guess I'm here. That's not the right intention. You're not worshiping God. Or if we see people in need when we're not in this building and we just walk away and do nothing, James says that's a dead religion. That's a religion that God will not accept. If we refuse to listen to God, to ignore God, to disobey God, evil begins to pile up at our heart and our worship like Cain is not acceptable. You see, I think this passage gives us some beautiful insight to just more than human relationships. It gives us some insight to what proper relationship to worshiping God is. It's us always trying to bring God our first, always trying to bring God our best, always trying to do so like Abel by faith with a pure heart and pure motives. Do you know what the most common word in the Bible for worship is? Anybody? I would be surprised if you did. I had to look it up. The most common word in the, in the Bible for worship is a Greek word called proskuneo. Proskuneo. This word, when you literally translated, means moving toward the kiss or blowing kisses of respect and homage in, in somebody's direction. It's a picture of love in its purest form. It's total consumption and admiration. Oh, God, you are so worthy. You know, when I think of that word proskuneo, you know what I think of all the time? Babies. Remember when your kids were really like babies and, and they learned that first thing to blow kisses? Anybody ever go through that with your kids? Yeah. Mwah. Babies blowing kisses. I love that. All five of my kids did that at one point. And that was one of the best parts about being a dad, coming home or leaving for work and that little baby just blowing those kisses my way. Because it is love in its purest form. It's the, the innocence of a child looking at the father and, ah, you, I, because when they're that little, you're my world. It's total reverence, acclaim, admiration, and acknowledgement. God is good. And he has good intentions in his heart towards you. And so, proskuneo, we worship you, God. Now, I want you to understand something, church. There is no room for pride in this definition of worship. This is falling on your face, falling on your knees, kissing and crying on the feet of Jesus and wiping those feet with your hair and your tears. It's the kind of worship that only happens in the throne room of God, and it's between you and your heavenly Father. It is offering God our first love, our deepest admiration, our total surrender to Him. That was Abel. And that's what our relationship to worship should look like. On Sundays, yes, but every day of the week. At church, yes, but everywhere else we go. Worship is supposed to make a difference in who we are and what we do. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. 
Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.